0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to This is Bill 21, created, recorded, and produced by the Journalists for Human Rights radio team at McGill. Robert Leckie is the Dean of the Faculty of Law at McGill University. Today, he joined us to shed light on the legal claims behind Bill 21 and gave insight into the judicial process of the law. Could you comment on the process by which this bill came into conception and came to become law?
1: The origins of Bill 21 kind of depend on your perspective. So the provincial government is spinning this as the culmination of 10 years of debate. They're saying Quebecers have been talking about this for a long time and it was time to sort of draw this to a close, close the file and move on. But the actual bill that became law uh, last June wasn't around very long. So we, we got a sense in late March that the government was moving forward on having legislation. The thing came out. The legislative process itself for this bill was very short and there was stuff in there that had not been discussed in the provincial election. The fact that the 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 clothing ban applies to teachers had really not been discussed before. That was something quite new last spring. There's other dimensions that were not expected. So you got to listen critically when you're told that this is the culmination of a a 10-year process. It was actually quite fast. The Parliamentary Commission during which people were invited to come and present their views. Very short, in Quebec City, just a few days, uh, and most of the religious groups that wanted to come weren't given a chance to do so. And then the thing was rushed through eventually uh, in, in a weekend in June. So it was quite fast, in a sense, and we're, we're, we're all dealing with it now.
0: Amidst all the controversy surrounding Bill 21 and its human rights implications for a lot of minority groups, groups in Quebec, we spoke in an earlier episode about groups that are challenging the bill. Is it possible for you to shed some light on what they're claiming and how it's infringing on their human rights?
1: Yeah, of course. So a number of groups are bringing challenges and there's, there's different legal arguments they're bringing. Once the bill is protected by the notwithstanding clauses in the Quebec and Canadian charters, some of the o- obvious legal arguments you would make are, are off the table. The English Montreal School Board uh, is bringing a, a very focused challenge their contention is that the bill interferes with their constitutional rights to be managing their own school boards. So Section 23 of the Canadian Charter protects minority language schooling, and courts have interpreted that as including a a management dimension, uh, and the claim is that managing schools involves deciding who to hire and fire and who to promote, and also that even managing the culture within the schools requires them to be able to decide how religion will be accommodated. So that's one claim. Other claims uh, are looking at parts of the Canadian Charter that lie outside the Notwithstanding Clause as well. Uh, There's a provision that states that charter rights apply equally to men and women, Section 28, and we really haven't done much with this in the past, but there are arguments being brought forward that when the effect of the law is essentially to diminish the freedom of religion primarily for women, it's it's certainly women most affected among teachers, that that deprives women of freedom of religion relative to men, and so that's being put forward as a basis for striking down the law. And yet another basis for claim is the idea that the provincial law, Bill 21, actually exceeds the powers of the province relative to the federal government under the Canadian constitution. There's a contention that passing a law that purports to to sort of install secularism as a state religion is not something the provinces can do, and that matters of religion on that level are only dealt with by Parliament.
0: So going back to examining the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, it is a fundamental aspect of Canadian society, and what is the role of it in this law, not even just looking at challenges, but even from your own perspective? Does this law seem to infringe on Charter rights?
1: There's no doubt that if the notwithstanding clause were not used, a court would find Bill 21 to infringe the Canadian Charter and I think the infringements would be unjustifiable. And I think the infringements would be of freedom of religion uh, and probably of equality, the right to be free from discrimination. And there might be others as well. The courts are not going straight to those claims because the Notwithstanding Clause uh, seems to direct them not to do so. One of the legal claims being put forward is the idea that the notwithstanding clause should not actually stop the courts from looking at the law in the light of the charter, and that the court could actually make a pronouncement about how the law impacts charter rights, and that the notwithstanding clause simply prevents the court from striking it down immediately.
0: You claim that there was a possibility for individuals to seek legal compensation for harms caused by Bill 21. Could you explain this and I guess comment on the likelihood of these cases succeeding in the long run?
1: There's an enforcement clause or a remedies clause in the Canadian Charter, Section 24. States that an individual whose rights or freedoms have been violated can go to a court of competent jurisdiction and ask for a remedy that's just and appropriate in the circumstances. And the Supreme Court has made very clear that an appropriate and just remedy for violation of a charter right can actually be damages. The argument is that the notwithstanding clause prevents Bill 21 from being struck down, but that it doesn't prevent people seeking compensation for the harms that it causes. Um, Section 24 is not mentioned among the sections that the notwithstanding clause can push aside or put on ice, if you like, for a five year period.
0: So what would be the process for these people who are being harmed to seek this form of compensation?
1: It could be individual or it could be collective, but what I'm suggesting is that someone can actually go to court and seek damages, saying, look, you know, the, go- the government is infringing my charter rights and I'm harmed in this way and I want compensation for it.
0: And so this falls outside of the notwithstanding clause? That's right. If we do see these groups succeeding in their legal challenges, what would happen next?
1: The lawyers and the parties and the different legal challenges are seeking different things depending on their argument. So one outcome sought is simply a declaration that Bill 21 infringes the charter with the sense that that declaration itself would be a powerful message to the public, that it would inform people what the government has done and and make them take accountability for their action. But other of the challenges are seeking a result that would be striking down part or all of the law. And so we'll have to see what the courts do with that. And, and then you know, another thing sought, as we discussed, is the possibility of a money order for individuals.
0: In those cases, would these, would these court cases be reaching the federal level, or would they still be confined to Quebec?
1: We have a kind of complicated court system in Canada. But even the, the sort of first instance court, that's what we call the Quebec Superior Court in Quebec, is part of a system of federally appointed judges. And it's fully foreseeable that the, uh, the the case which goes to trial next November here in Montreal, fully foreseeable, that whatever comes out of that will be appealed to the Quebec Court of Appeal, which also sits in Montreal. And it's totally foreseeable after that that whether the government or the parties are coming out on top, that leave or permission would be sought to appeal that to the Supreme Court of Canada in Ottawa. There's no indication that either side in this is going to walk away early, right? Exactly. So, It'll, it'll go all the way up.
0: Sort of looking towards the speculative side of things. Do you believe that there is a possibility to overturn this bill, even if it is after the five years of the notwithstanding clause?
1: Or during it. There are, there are credible arguments that the law should be struck down now. Perfectly credible arguments are based on the Section 28 of the Charter, which guarantees equally to men and women their charter rights on the basis that the inequality really seriously harms women, that women are worse off, Relative to men, and that should, that leads to the bill's invalidity. That's one argument. The argument that the bill exceeds the provincial jurisdiction in the federal division of powers in the in the Canadian Constitution. That's also a credible argument that could lead to the thing being struck down. Uh, there are arguments as well that the law is incompatible with the rule of law, given its uncertainty and its internal contradictions. You know, there's there's substance there as well. So there are possibilities for things even within the five years of the Notwithstanding Clause. The parties are also calling into question uh, the established ideas about how the Notwithstanding Clause can be triggered and how it operates. One of the troubling things about Bill 21, and of course there's a long list of them, but one of the disturbing things in a context where the Notwithstanding Clause is used is that the government in the bill or in the legislation purports to say that it's still respecting rights. So the starting parts of the law say that what follows is consistent with the values of equality and freedom of religion and state neutrality. But that's incompatible with what follows. It's inconsistent with the fact that people are told what they can and can't wear, that people are prevented from employment or promotion based on having a religious belonging. I think the best understanding of the notwithstanding clause is that the government triggering it takes responsibility for what it's doing. It says, look, public, we disagree with how the Supreme Court has interpreted the charter, or look, we think some public interest outweighs charter rights, we take responsibility for overriding rights in this way. The Quebec government is almost denying that it's infringing on rights. And so I think that lack of candor might turn out to be part of something the courts object to.
0: So if we look at the impact on populations as a whole, and stepping away from the process of law, how do you believe that this particular bill is impacting populations.
1: The government has to be conscious that passing a law such as Bill 21 sends a broad message of suspicion towards religious minorities and it suggests that their place is a lesser place in society than those of the majority. The government's arguments sort of that it's dangerous to have people with religious symbols in children's classrooms, that's just that's tapping in to a broader hatred that's there. And so I don't say the provincial government is the cause of it, but it's clearly making space for it. It's making it respectable, making a public space for that kind of hatred.
0: If we're looking towards the future, what would you, what would your piece of advice be to students, either current or future, who might be reconsidering their career in law because of these barriers that are being put up you from Bill Twenty
1: One? Don't reconsider your career. Like you, you don't, you don't back down because someone tells you you don't belong somewhere. You, you affirm it. You, you know, you, you decide you're going to stay here, you're going to fight, you're going to assert yourself. So people should certainly not walk away. I don't believe the bill is here forever. Uh, There are many opportunities for people in the legal profession. I don't think people should internalize the message and simply sort of pack up their dreams and put them away. Uh, And our students have organized protests in conjunction with the Faculty of Education. Our students are speaking up uh, in the media uh, and I'm very proud of that.
0: The radio team at Journalists for Human Rights expresses extreme gratitude to Dean Lecky, not only for sitting down with us, but for supporting students both in the Faculty of Law and within the greater McGill community. On the next episode, we interview McGill students for their perspectives and thoughts about Bill 21 and the future. Thanks for listening to This is Bill 21. This series was recorded and produced at McGill University, located on land which has long served as a site of meeting and exchange amongst indigenous peoples including the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabeg nations. McGill and the chapter of Journalists for Human Rights honors, recognizes, and respects these nations as the traditional stewards of lands and waters on which we meet today.